Hey everybody, it's Morgan. I'm laid up at home right now. I've got carpal tunnel, which really sucks. And uh, the normal work that I do on my podcast is kind of out of my reach right now. I do a lot of note-taking and some typing, and I kind of have to quit that for the moment. I can't do the deep-dive type of episode that I've got planned for you uh, just yet. So I'm going to do something a little bit different, just so you can get some content. Uh, I've got a much less polished episode that I've figured out, just a little short one for you. got my first three episodes of The Great Hunt done, and so here's a little bit of an interlude episode, um, just to bridge the gap. And what I mean by bridge the gap is that my next main episode that I have planned doesn't take place until after they've arrived into the city of Kyrien, and I have left it off basically more or less with Rand and crew being in the Port of Stone Hollow. I think that for this episode, I'm going to talk about the scene where Rand steals back the horn, because it's kind of a cool setup. It actually does give me a chance to talk a little bit about Lanfear, since she's obviously responsible for Rand, Loyal, and Huron ending up in the Portal Stone world or the Mirror world. Um, Rand thought that he was responsible for it because when he falls asleep in the hollow that night, the void is surrounding him and the light of Sidene is there in the void. But Egwene had a dream where she saw a woman in white and that she was touching Rand and then they both vanished. So we know because of Egwene's dream that Lanfear was responsible and her shady fucking behavior makes it glaringly apparent that she was responsible. And I'm assuming that she brought both Loyal and Huron to the Portal Stone world with Rand because waking up alone there would have sucked. And she wanted Rand to be in a position where he could rise to an occasion. Um, Once again, an example of it being easier to be brave if there are people who need you or have to depend upon you It's much easier to fall into despair, especially if you're in some creepy, empty, washed-out world if you're by yourself. So she's not a dummy, and she would have to know that having companions that he has to be a source of strength for would be good for him. And then she, of course, meets them in the portal world, gives them a couple of days you know, walking through it, and then sets herself up at her damsel in distress so that Rand can rescue her and get a big ego boost. And the Portal Stone world is interesting just because we never learn very much about it because the Forsaken are the ones with the knowledge. And so Lanfear imparts the little bit about it that she will. So we know what she gives to Rand or what she gives to Loyal based upon the mirrors of the wheel, and we know that it's a world that is much less likely to have occurred. Um, the Trollocs defeating Arter Hawkwing was not something that was likely to happen, and that was why the world was much less real, why it was washed out, um, and presumably why it was not aligned as far as space-time, and they were able to Across such large distances in such a short amount of time as it just wasn't as attuned to reality. 
I, I have a very conceptual understanding of most types of physics. It, I wish I knew more because it would be cool to understand where RJ is coming from with all of these different types of worlds. I know that it's called string theory and I've read a little bit about it, but it confused me because it's not where, not how my mind works. Uh, it makes sense that we never really learn a fuck ton about the portal stone worlds. Um, and we never really return to them too much. They're a useful form of fast travel for plot purposes in this one book, but they're too rare and it's too difficult to use them. So beyond Rand using them to quickly move people to Roydian and the Shadow Rising, we never use them again. So having to like fill out all the background information about them, it would be a lot of work to do it. And really there isn't anyone to do it. The ice that I don't have the information and there's no reason when the Forsaken have all this other stuff going on to have them fill in the information for these artifacts that really are only significant in these very early books. But it would have been interesting to at least figure out how Lanfear was able to like manipulate the Portal Stone world. Was she lurking around and watching them? Was the place like overrun with Grolm, but she kept awarding around Rand and his friends so that they were always out of sight of the Grolm until the time came that she needed to make use of them or what exactly. And it's like, it's not very important, except that it's always a question that comes to mind when I go back and reread it. Well, regardless, Lanfear's playing games and, you know, whatever game she is playing, I think a large purpose of hers uh, that you get from her behavior, both while they're in the Portal Stone world and after, is she wants Rand to channel. She wants him to make use of his ability... Um, she's got some long game planned, presumably, that she's going to get Asmodian to teach him. She's probably planning that already. She's got a, a lot of games going on, and she tries to get him to willingly take her to her portal stone um, so that they can get out of the mirror world since she's set up her play, got him isolated, and then put herself out there like, oh, I'm a damsel in distress, rescue me, oh, you're wonderful, and just fawning all over him, and it's really creepy when you think about it, because he's like 19, and she's hundreds of years old, and it, it just, it just makes her super gross, and this coming from someone who, you know, could be labeled by someone super judgy as a creepy cougar, I'm like almost 20 years older than my wife, but Lanfear. Lanfear is the original creepy cougar. So she wants Rand to channel and he doesn't want to and she's like well you've got to either kill all the Grolm if you know a way to kill them all and he's like no I don't know a way. She's like well then you have to get us out of here. And so we can never understand how she does it but somehow manages to get the Grolm to hurt everybody to 
the portal stone hollow in Kinslayer's dagger in the reflection of Kinslayer's dagger and put Rand in a position where he has no choice but to channel to bring them back. And it says, uh, Look around you, Celine said. You've brought us home. She gave a sudden laugh. You brought all of us home. I don't know if it was Lanfear's hope or intention that Rand leave loyal and Huron behind in the Portal Stone world. It would have made things easier for her, and I know she's definitely hoping that she'll be able to convince Rand to run off with her. Um, I don't know that she finds him exciting or interesting. If she does, I don't see how. But she likes the idea of being able to possess Luz Theron and control him and make him or remake him in the image that she wants him, which I suppose is another reason why the fact that Rand's only 19 is very appealing to her because uh, being so young makes it easy to control him or it should make him easy to control. Um, and at the point that she can control who he turns into, she's the kind of person where that will make him interesting. Regardless, they end up in Kinslayer's Dagger, and they realize that they've traveled a huge distance in two or three days, and Lanfear lets them know that Huron was smelling the trail of where the Dark Friends would be, because she has an understanding of all how all those worlds work. So she knows that Pad and Fane will come their way, and that Rand just needs to wait. And so she keeps convincing him, like, every day he's kind of like, okay, well, we need to go on into Kyrian, and we'll wait for Inktar. Um, we need to, you know, every morning he wakes up, and he's like, we need to go. And she'll touch his arm and stare into his eyes and talk about the glory because she wants him to stay. She knows that the horn will come. Um, they, with no discretion whatsoever, have told her all about the horn. So she knows what their mission is. And she knows that it will come their way. But she can't tell them with 100% certainty Yes, I know that this will happen because I'm an ancient evil entity and I have all of this information because I lived in a fucking time where we knew all this kind of stuff, so shut up and listen to me. So she has to cajole him and stare into his eyes and talk him into staying and stroke his ego and be a creep and talk about the glory. And poor Rand he's having like 30 confusing thoughts about Lanfear because she's just fucking with his head and she just puts him in a really uncomfortable position. The night that the dark friends finally show up, she really puts Rand in this awkward place. She's like going into his saddlebags. I think she's going in to look at his banner. Um, but he catches her in the act. And so she's just sort of like, oh, I want a shirt to change into so I can clean my dress. And poor Rand is feeling so awkward because she's utterly shameless. And he's like, oh my God, I saw a girl's legs. And, you know, he's just really uncomfortable and nervous and really horny, I'm assuming, at the same time. And also, I think, just super confused because I'm sure that he's never experienced anyone express such an overt level of sexuality toward him. And so he's probably not even picking up all of the signals. I mean, he got 
he understood what was happening when he was being basically stalked by Elsa Grinwell, but Lantry was more subtle, like, I'm a weak damsel in distress. Let me send out all these signals that just radiate sex. It's like, it's like Rand's thinking, well, if I kissed her, and he's just very confused because Lantry was an asshole. But they get interrupted by Huron because he sees a fire because the dark friends have shown up. So it says, the sniffer spoke without raising his eyes. A fire, my lord, down in the hills. I didn't see it at first. They made it small and hid it, but they hid it from somebody following them, not somebody ahead and up above. Two miles, Lord Rand. Less than three, for sure. They, Rand said. Ingtar would not be afraid of anyone following him. It must be Thane. Suddenly he did not know what to do now. They had been waiting for Thane, but now that the man was only a mile or so away, he was uncertain. In the morning, in the morning we will follow. When Ingtar and the others catch up, we'll be able to point right to them. So, Selene said, you will let this Ingtar take the horn of Valir and the glory. I don't want. Without thinking, he turned, and there she was, legs pale in the moonlight, and as unconcerned that they were bare as if she were alone, as if we were alone, the thought came. She wants the man who finds the horn. Three of us cannot take it away from them. Ingtar has twenty lances with him. You don't know you cannot take it. How many followers does this man have? You don't know that either. Her voice was calm but intent. You don't even know if these men camped down there do have the horn. The only way is to go down yourself and see. Take the Alantan. His kind have sharp eyes, even by moonlight, and he has the strength to carry the horn in its chest if you make the right decision. She's right. You do not know for sure if it's fame. A fine thing it would be to have Huron casting about for a trail that was not there, all of them out in the open, if the real dark friends did finally come. You know, it's interesting. I've only just noticed that Lanfear says he has the strength to carry the horn in its chest. They never would have told her the specifics of the horn being in a chest or that it was heavy. So the horn of Valir must have been some kind of an artifact that was within the keeping of the Aes Sedai in the Age of Legends, which, I mean, obviously, because it had to have been to be in the hands of Deendra and the other Aes Sedai who, you know, who put it into the, the Eye of the World and put Kalidor into the Stone of Tear. But obviously its state of being in a large locked chest was common knowledge among Aes Sedai as Lanfear was an Aes Sedai, as well as, like, a research scientist. That's crazy. Okay, I didn't... Anyway, so Rand and Loyal set out with their horses to go look and see, and uh, as he's going along, Rand keeps thinking all of these thoughts about Lanfear because she's giving him all of these inviting signals. Because he's from the two rivers, he's automatically equating sex with marriage, and so he's thinking... A shepherd would not be very acceptable to a formal Korean and noble house. Like, that's right about you. You're crazy and with a big head to boot. But if I could marry, because he thinks he still wants to marry Egwene, he wished he could stop thinking, and before he realized it, the void had formed within him, making thoughts, distant things, as if part of someone else. Sidene shone at him, beckoned to him. He gritted his teeth and ignored it. 
It was like ignoring a burning coal inside his head, but at least he could hold it at bay, barely. He almost left the void, but the dark friends were out there in the night and closer now, and the Trollocs. He needed the emptiness, needed even the uneasy calm of the void. I don't have to touch it. I don't. So Lamphere sent him out there, I'm assuming because she figured that Brienne could lay waste with the power. She doesn't get how determined he is not to use it, which there's no reason that she would. She was alive for a reasonable amount of time while men were going insane from the taint, but she's used to men desiring Sidene, and so... The thought that Rand would be so determined not to use it, I think, would be utterly alien to her, whether or not it's tainted. So, anyway, Rand and Loyal ride their horses a couple of miles to where Rand saw the fire. And they uh, tie their horses and they go the rest of the way on foot and kind of tiptoe from tree to tree. And it says, suddenly some trick of the moonlight resolved the shadows ahead of him and he froze, touching the rough bowl of a leather leaf. Dim mounds on the ground became men wrapped in blankets, and apart from them a group of larger mounds, sleeping trollocs. They had doused the fire. One moonbeam, moving through the branches, caught a shine of gold and silver on the ground. Halfway between the two groups, the moonlight seemed to brighten. For an instant he could see clearly. The shape of a sleeping man lay close to the gleam, but that was not what held his eye. The chest. The horn and something atop it, a point of red flashing in the moonbeam, the dagger. And then they're kind of just like standing in the midst of all these sleeping trollocs, and one of them wakes up, and it's just kind of sniffing around. And it says, for an instant the void wavered. Someone stirred in the dark front camp, and the trolloc turned to peer that way. Rand froze, letting the calm of emptiness envelop him. His hand was on his sword, but he did not think of it. The void was all. Whatever happened, happened. He watched the Trolloc without blinking. A moment longer, the snouted shadow watched the dark friend camp, then, as if satisfied, folded itself down beside a tree. Almost immediately, a low sound, like coarse cloth ripping, drifted from it. Loyal put his mouth close to Rand's ear. It's asleep, he whispered incredulously. And Rand is in this place where he's kind of, like, lost in the void. And he's got this kind of point and counterpoint of trying to, like, hold Sidene at bay. And so in fighting it off, it almost in a sense like helps him retain the void or it keeps him from feeling as afraid because he's trying to resist this thing in his mind. And he recklessly or boldly, depending on how you look at it, decides to just go for it. And I think Lanfear breathing on him about all the glory is probably one reason that he does this. It says, The horn of Valir and the dagger Matt needed, both almost within reach. Selene's face drifted with the chest. They could follow Fane's party in the morning and wait until Ingtar joined them. If Ingtar did come, if he still followed the trail without his sniffer, no, there would never be a better chance, all within reach of his hand. And then they belly crawl over there. Slowly, silently, he slithered to that one special shadow and put out a hand. Ornate traceries worked in gold met his touch. It was the chest that held the horn of the leer. His hand touched something else on the lid. 
the dagger bare-bladed in the dark his eyes widened remembering what it had done to matt he jerked back the void shifting with his agitation the man sleeping nearby no more than two paces from the chest no one else lay so close by spans groaned in his sleep and thrashed at his blankets rand allowed the boy to sweep thought and fear away murmuring uneasily in his sleep the man stilled so fane talks about a disappearing act that rand does sometimes or would do where he would vanish in the keep um and then come back and i think the disappearing act is when rand is in the void so fane is asleep beside the chest and the agitation makes rand like shift in the void that causes fane to stir in his sleep and fane of course puts the dagger on the chest because it keeps everybody else away but rand snags the dagger loyal grabs the horn and then they begin to tiptoe out and they do okay until fane wakes up and begins to scream that it's gone and that he knows it's rand he's like you're hiding from me but i know it's you althor i know you're out there as they're heading for their horses the trollocs are all scattering looking for them it says wrapped in emptiness rand kept moving almost forgotten and entering the camp sidine pulsed at him he cannot see us loyal whispered low once we reach the horses a trollic leaped out of the dark at them cruel eagle's beak in a man's face where mouth and nose should have been sight like sword already whistling through the air rand moved without thought he was one with the blade cat dances on the wall the trollic screamed as it fell screamed again as it died run loyal rand commanded Sidine called to him. Run! He was dimly aware of Loyal lumbering to an awkward gallop, but another trollic loomed from the night. Boar snouted and tusked, spiked axe raised. Smoothly, Rand glided between Trolloc and Ogier. Loyal must get the horn away. Head and shoulders taller than Rand, half again as wide. The, the trollic came at him with a silent snarl. A courtier taps his span. No scream this time. He walked backwards after Loyal, watching the night. Sidine sang to him such a sweet song the power could burn them all burn fane and all the rest of cinders no two more trollocs wolf and ram bleeding teeth and curling horns lizard in the thorn bush he rose smoothly from one knee as the second toppled horns almost brushing his shoulder the song of Sidine caressed him with seduction pulled him with a thousand silken strings burned them all with the power no no Better dead than that. If I were dead, it would be done with. A knot of Trollocs came into sight, hunting uncertainly. Three of them. Four. Suddenly one pointed to Rand and raised a howl. The rest answered as they charged. Let it be done with, Rand shouted and leaped to meet them. For an instant, surprise slowed them. Then they came on with guttural cries, gleeful, bloodthirsty, swords and axes raised. He danced among them to the song of Sidene. Hummingbird kisses the honey rose, so cunning that song, filling him, cat on hot sand. The sword seemed alive in his hands as it had never been before, and he fought as if a heron-marked blade could keep Sidine from him. The heron spreads its wings. Rand stared at the motionless shapes on the ground around him. Better to be dead, he murmured. He raised his eyes back up the hill toward where the camp lay. Fane was there, and dark friends, and more trollocs. Too many to fight, too many to face and live. He took a step that way, another. Brand, come on! Loyal's urgent whispered call drifted through the emptiness to him. For life and the light, Brand, come on! I almost.
almost wonder if this, it can't be a reaction to him touching the true source. At this point, his reactions and his touching come at the same time, so he's no longer having reactions per se. But it's almost like he's manic. It says, as though he knew of no urgency, Rand joined loyal by the horses. The ogre was tying the golden chest atop his saddle with straps from his saddlebags. His cloak was stuffed underneath to help balance the chest on the rounded saddle seat. Sidene sang no more. It was there, that stomach-turning glow, but it held back as if he truly had fought it off. Wonderingly, he let the void vanish. I think I'm going mad, he said. Suddenly realizing where they were, he peered back the way they had come. Shouts and howls came from half a dozen directions. Signs of search, but none of pursuit, yet he swung up onto Red's back. It seems like the Rand, before they went into the mirror world, would never have done anything so bold or reckless. And I wonder if it's like a combination of having used a massive amount of the One Power to channel and bring them back with the Portal Stone. If that caused a little bit of the taint to work on him, like enough for him to be slightly manic in this moment and feel like he could do anything. And maybe Lanfear stoking his ego and just being like, you're so brave, it'll be so glorious. How proud I'll be to look in your eyes and give you a boner. And just like a sense of recklessness too. Because it sounds like it's, it says he took a step that way because there were too many to fight and live. He took a step that way and then another and Loyal had to call him back. It was like he was so lost in himself, he was ready to go back and fight and die. And I recognize in the scene a moment of mania. It's like boldness and recklessness and feeling like nothing can harm you and also feeling like almost fatalistic. It's like RJ is showing us the taint in combination with Lanfear working on Rand's ego a bit. This makes it take a drastic measure. And maybe also just the fact that there was no better time to get the horn back. And so it was a case of who dares wins. And in this case, like this scene is the first time that Rand in his quote unquote career as a soldier, ever since he was taken from Emmetsfield and dragged through this shitstorm, he took initiative and put himself in danger in order to seize an objective. And so it's a cool scene, and I always see it being kind of like an interlude, like an interlude in the mountains, while they wait for the horn to come to them. And the person that Rand is after this, and partly it's after the time in the mirror world, but it's also after he volitionally, for the first time, channels and uses a portal stone, for the first time, and then after he goes and engages in this bout of fearlessness and recklessness and utter lack of caring, or maybe he was seeking death in the end, this brand is a different person on the other side, because the person who comes down out of Kinsler's dagger into Kyrian is much bolder and more certain of himself than the person who went to sleep in the Portal Stone Hollow with Inktar and all of the Shinerans and Matt and Perrin. He's assertive. Uh, when they take a look at the Horn of Valir, once they find a place where they can stop and safely look at it, and uh, they stick the dagger in there and close it shut, and then Selene slash Lanfear wants to go back to sleep, and Rand's like, no, we need to leave. Uh, we can't wait for Fane to come and find us. And she's pissy about it, and he's just kind of like, whatever. And in the morning, 
she wants to look at the horn again and Rand is like no and she says I want to see the horn I want you to hold it in your hands and I want to see you looking at it and Rand says no the dagger's being shielded by the box and I don't think we should expose ourselves to it let's keep it shut and she freezes him out and it's not like he enjoys being frozen out by her but he also doesn't give into it he doesn't put up with her bullshit he stands his ground it's almost like rand earned a field commission that night it, like he truly stepped into his leadership by this crazed mission this spontaneous role where he took initiative admittedly while being pushed by a member of the forsaken and while i think that Lanfear definitely aided him. Um, I also think that his mind is starting to be affected even this early by the taint and and he was definitely a little bit manic but whatever. Anyway this is just my short little bit about this. I wanted to put out a little mini-sode. Um, I'm just trying to do what I can to think of ways to be creative. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to take notes um, by verbal dictation so I can do my more thorough episodes and get the more heavy-duty content out to everybody. Um, I do have some really good in-depth episodes that I'm planning to do. I just really do need to rest up my hands a bit. I have uh, some collaborations that I'm doing. I re just recorded one what, last night or the night before with Leslie from Stuck on Arrakis. If you haven't listened to her podcast, I really recommend it. So uh, when she gets ready to drop that, I'll uh, post a link for it. And then I uh, just talked to Rob of Malkir Talks. And I'm going to see about coming in and guesting on his show as well. And so I'm just going to see what I can do to put out whatever content I can. That it doesn't require me to do too much note-taking or typing. Um, and... Uh, and if these mini-sows end up being something that turns out nice, I might end up doing them every once in a while just for funsies, even if, uh, even once my hands get back in good working order again. Anyway, thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Podcast of the Dragon, everybody, and take care. And I don't have a clever sign-off this time because I didn't think about it ahead of time, and... Take it easy, everybody.